Welcome to the Danny Picard Show, Tuesday, April 19th, 2016. As always, broadcasting from the Beantown Athletic Studio in Dorchester, Massachusetts. Beantown Athletics, your only source for customized screen printing and embroidery. Go to BeantownAthletics.com right now. That's BeantownAthletics.com or give them a call at 617-282-4181. That's 617-282-4181. And make sure you tell them I sent you. So here we go. Game two tonight in Atlanta. The Celtics and the Hawks tip off at 7 o'clock on TNT. Only two NBA playoff games tonight. The other game is at 9.30, San Antonio. The Spurs host the Memphis Grizzlies. That's at 9.30. San Antonio, an 18-point favorite in that game as the Spurs look to go up two games to none on the Grizzlies. And uh, I'm going to say stay away from the 18 points because, you don't know, this could be a blowout and uh, the Spurs could rest some guys and Memphis maybe has a little comeback at the end that's not good enough to beat San Antonio I feel like perhaps the final score of this one tonight might be deceiving as to, to actually how close the game was, or should I say how close the game wasn't. You know what I mean? So the 18 points, that's high. I would just stay away from that altogether. Uh, but I do expect the Spurs to win. I do expect the Spurs to go up two games to none. But as for the Celtics, I mean, we've had now two days off. And once you get through this game two tonight, you're going to have two more days off. Because Game 3, back here in Boston at the TD Garden, isn't until Friday. It's not until Friday. You had Game 1 on Saturday night, and here we are Tuesday morning, still waiting for Game 2. I mean, this is the longest series that I can recall, and I feel like Game 1 was two weeks ago. I really do. And we've had a lot to think about the last two days with regards to Celtics injuries, I went over this yesterday on yesterday's podcast, the Avery Bradley injury and where I stand with this Celtics team, I'm, I'm still optimistic because I know the fight the Celtics still have. I know the guys they have that, you know, are a major part of this team. Look, the Avery Bradley injury, him being out, it's going to sting. It's going to sting, especially defensively, trying to stop this Hawks offense. But you still, because what you do with the starting lineup now, and I know everybody wants to throw their own starting lineup together. Here's mine. Isaiah Thomas, obviously, but I'm going with Evan Turner. Evan Turner's sliding into my starting lineup. If I'm Brad Stevens tonight, I'm going Thomas. I'm going Turner, Crowder, Sullinger, Amir Johnson. That's my starting five. Isaiah, Evan Turner, Jay Crowder, Jared Sullinger, Amir Johnson. I'm I'm not going with Marcus Smart in the starting lineup. I'm certainly not going with Rozier in the starting lineup, right? I'm just not doing it. I think the one message I would have for Rozier, if he's going to get more minutes or any type of minutes now that Avery Bradley's out, I would say know your role. That's what I would say. I don't want Rozier shooting the basketball, one. Two, I don't want him trying to force plays because one thing I do not like about Rozier is He's just a little too hectic for me. And that might be the inexperience factor in the league. Maybe he's a little too giddy when he comes into these games. And this is, you know, this is a playoff game. 
So he's going to be even more giddy when he gets into this one. When he's dribbling the ball up the court, he is a little too hectic for my liking to the point where I just never feel comfortable. I really don't ever feel comfortable when the ball is in his hands. But his role, if he does get minutes, Rosier is going to be a rebounding god, you know, an athletic kid. We know he can jump through the roof. But when you do grab those boards and, and you do become the rebounding god that, that we know you can be, well, know your role after that when the ball's in your hands. Don't try to do too much with it. Because I tell you what, if Roseanne starts throwing up shots tonight, this is not going to end well for the Celtics. It's not. Uh, you know, you need to let guys like Evan Turner and Isaiah Thomas take over this game offensively. If you can get some more hot shooting from someone like Marcus Smart, like you got at the end of game one, he was hitting some big threes down the stretch late in that fourth quarter. The problem I have with that, and, and <laughs> you know, I, I get it. It's good that he's hitting those shots. The problem I have is Smart, to me, seems like the guy that, you know, he'll go all heat check on us in a close game. Like, he'll, he'll hit a couple big shots, and he'll say, you know, give me the ball, I'm hot. And he'll throw up some ridiculous shot like Steph, like he's Steph Curry, and he's just not. So my message to these kids, Smart, Rosier, know your role, okay? I'd rather see Smart shooting than Rosier, but don't give me, don't go all heat check on me. You know, if there's somebody that maybe I'm looking for tonight in game two to, to hit some big shots, I think it's Jonas Jerebko. I think Jerebko's the guy I look at and say, you got to be better than you were in game one. You know he can be. Jerebko... I'd like to see him hit some big shots tonight. I mean, A.J. Hunter, if he gets minutes, obviously I, th- that's why you drafted the kid to shoot, right? You drafted him to come off the bench and hit big threes. So, but but Jerebko to me is a guy I'm going to look at tonight to step up in a big spot. I think we know what we're going to get from Evan Turner. The question is, is Evan Turner going to go into the starting lineup for the Celtics or is he going to come off the bench? My starting lineup would include Evan Turner. It would. And, and you know, if you need to make moves, you know, take Isaiah out of the game. Evan Turner can can bring the ball up. You need to take Crowder out. Evan Turner can play the three. That's the luxury that you have with Evan Turner. And you know what? You might be getting a motivated Evan Turner tonight. But not that he wouldn't be motivated anyways. I shouldn't say a motivated Turner. I should say an Evan Turner that's maybe extra motivated. Because yesterday, the NBA gave out the sixth man award. And they did not give it to Evan Turner. They gave it to Clippers' Jamal Crawford. Jamal Crawford wins the NBA's sixth man award. He becomes the first player to win it three times. He's also, Crawford is the oldest player to win the award at age 36. So Evan Turner, who I think, I don't even think he was top three in voting, right, for this one? It was, what, Iguodala got finished in second? And Kanta from Oklahoma City finished third. I don't know that that's right. I mean, you look at what the Celtics have done this season, and you look at their roster. I know they have one all-star in Isaiah Thomas, but come on, let's be serious here. Evan, and, and, and maybe this gets into not everybody nationally is paying attention to the Celtics as maybe we are here locally. I think more people nationally this year are paying attention to the Celtics than they were last year, but it's still not to the level where we want it to be. That's that's another reason why I wanted the Celtics to be either the three or the six seed in the East so that you would avoid Cleveland in the second round and then you could possibly find yourself or at least give yourself the best chance to get to the Eastern Conference Finals. 
going through Cleveland in the second round is not giving yourself the best chance. Now, I know, you've got to get by Atlanta first. And you're going to have to do it now without Avery Bradley. But I think Evan Turn is the guy that should be in the starting lineup. We'll see if that's the case. Uh, and, and if he is, I think that's, that's the, the best move the Celtics could make. And I'm looking for Evan Turner to have a big game tonight. Isaiah Thomas, same thing. I am still optimistic about the Celtics, as I told you yesterday on this podcast, as I told you last night on WEEI. I worked the late night shift last night. And um, I think the Celtics can go into Atlanta tonight. I think they can fight their way through this without Avery Bradley. And, and you know what? Even if they're without Kelly Olynyk, Olynyk's going to be a game-time decision. He's dealing with a shoulder injury. I'm obviously way more concerned about the Avery Bradley absence than I am any potential Kelly Olynyk absence. But I, I look at the first half of game one, and I think you couldn't have, you, if you're the Celtics, I mean, you can't shoot any worse than that than you did in the first half of game one. You can't. You can't shoot worse than that. That was a pathetic shooting display, and it was one of the more pathetic shooting de- displays I've ever seen in my life in basketball and at any level. And yet, there you were, on the road, in a playoff game, with a chance to win it in the final minutes. I think that's pretty incredible. Not just impressive, incredible. So, the Celtics, that's they, what they have in their toolbox is a big hot. And they're going to use it, utilize it, and, and I think that's going to work to their benefit because I think maybe one thing you can say about Atlanta, at least in their postseason history, is that they do not show that same type of fight, that same type of hot. And, and I think the combination of those two things is going to work in the Celtics' favor. And I do think they can win this one tonight. I, I t- I'm going to take the six and a half. I'm going to take put it this way. I'll take, I'll take the six and a half points, and I'm giving the Celtics a shot to even this series up at one and come back to the Garden on Friday night for game three, and that place is going to be rocking. And if that's the case, and the series is even at one, you know, the Celtics are going to be in pretty good shape because Atlanta is going to be in for a rude awakening when they step into the Garden, and that place is so much louder than Atlanta was for them. But there's empty seats in Atlanta for game one. Just a com- it's going to be a completely different atmosphere. So, game two tonight, I will react to this one on tomorrow's podcast. And, uh, yeah, game three, not until Friday. I do not like these long layoffs. But after that, if this, after game three, if the series does go seven, you'll only get one night off in between the rest of the series. So, it'll be a normal schedule after game three. But they're just dragging out this series right now. Uh, we had to wait two nights for this one, and we're going to have to wait two more nights after tonight for Game 3. But I'm taking the Celtics plus six and a half tonight. As I mentioned, the other game, San Antonio, they host Memphis at 9.30 on TNT. Spurs an 18-point favorite. Stay away from the 18, but look for San Antonio to win that game and go up two games to none on Memphis. There were three NBA playoff games last night. Now, I was on WEEI late night for the late night shift. And it was a long night, but, you know, I, so I have TVs in front of me, as you know, all the time whenever I'm on air. And so I got to watch some of these games, and I was watching the Golden State-Houston game, and, and you know, I caught, I was there and, and saw the whole thing. Golden State wins. They beat Houston in Golden State 115-106. to 106. The Warriors now have a two-games-to-none lead. The story here is, I think there's two stories. You know, if you want to talk about 
the, the story that includes this year's playoffs, it's that Steph Curry did not play in this game last night. He was ruled out. I told you yesterday that it would be the wise decision for Golden State to, to not play Steph Curry, so he did not play. I, I do find it humorous what Golden State is doing, though. Like, they're, they're trying not to be an obnoxious group or, or, or they try and, they're trying not to come off as this overly confident, cocky team. And the reason I say that is because, you know, after game one, Steph Curry rolled his ankle. They took him out of that game. They still won game one. They know they're at home. They tell you after the game, Steph Curry's going to be questionable. And then they sort of upgrade him a little bit. They give you a little hope. Right, they're playing some mind games. They throw him out on the court. They say, "Well, he's going to shoot around. If it can't get any worse, you know, we think we're going to play him. So if he feels good, he's going to play. We'll we'll let him shoot around before the game." And Steph Curry goes out, shoots around, and then he acts all upset and walks off the court and punches a basketball. And and you know, you see it at first, and you're like, "Oh wow, he's Steph Curry's pissed off. He really was trying to play in this game, and he can't." But I mean. The more you think about it, the more I think that's just, they're, they're doing that for show. Golden State knew that Steph Curry was not playing in this game last night. And they didn't make the decision. I got news for you. The Warriors, Steve Kerr, Luke Walton, Steph Curry, anybody else in this, you know, the medical staff, anybody else who has decision-making power for the Golden State Warriors, they if you think they made this decision for Steph Curry to not play, like moments before the game, well, you're you're pretty you're being pretty naive. This decision was made two nights ago. All right, Steph Curry was not playing in this game, and the biggest reason is, as you saw last night, the Warriors know they don't need Steph Curry to beat this Houston Rockets club. The Warriors win last night again, one fifteen to one hundred six. If you watched any of this game, because here's the other story which is not really related to, to the future of this year's playoffs. I guess it's related to maybe the future of, I don't know, James Harden's career, maybe even Dwight Howard, even just the Rockets franchise in general. The Rockets last night, like there were points in times in which, you know, they got on a little run, they had their big, you know, get the and one, and they, they cut the lead to, to 10 or 8 points in the second half, and you're like, all right, maybe they get a little comeback. But the guy, you know, he, he gets fouled, he gets the and one, it's a huge hoop on the road, must win game in the playoffs, and like one guy on the court with him gives him a high five. I've never seen anything like it. I have never seen a team, especially that's in a playoff game, I have never seen a team with players that seemingly hate each other more than this Houston Rockets team. Like, as a playoff team. Playing a game in which you're trying to win, and if you don't, your season's going to be over. Like, I don't even think Houston wants to be playing in this. I don't even think they want to be in. They ended up getting in. They controlled their own destiny. If you recall, for that 8C, they were battling with Utah. Uh, that final night, Houston wins, and they're in, and they won. And they got in. And, you know... Now that you, but you watch them in the playoffs and you, we've all heard the story of James Harden and he wanted to get rid of Dwight Howard and uh, the Dwight Howard trade room is at the deadline. Dwight Howard's got this player option for some crazy amount that he can pick up next year. And the Rockets, 
you know, obviously trying to move him because I don't think the Rockets want him picking up that option and sticking around for that money because they know that at the end of the day, Dwight Howard is not, I mean, he's not a gamer. He's not someone that shows up and, and is going to rip his chest open for you and, and do everything that he can to be a dominant player on the court. I knocked Dwight Howard more than anybody in the history of anyone that's ever watched professional basketball because I think this guy is the most useless piece of shit that I've ever seen on, on a professional stage. I do. When, when you factor in his physical capabilities, look at him. Will you just watch him? He's a specimen. If I had Dwight Howard's physical capabilities where... I was jacked out of my tree, and I was so big, and my shoulders were so wide that I couldn't even walk through regular, normal-sized doors. You know what I would be? I would be the most dominant defensive player in the NBA. And when I get the ball down low, my first option and my first look is not to kick it out to someone. And he, Dwight Howard did this multiple times last night where he kicked it out to nobody. Like, and he had one late, too. I think right up the middle of the court, James Harden had to go run back all the way to his own, to their own baseline, get the ball, and it was a backcourt violation. But they give the ball down low to Dwight Howard. He's got one guy on him that he can take, and he decides he doesn't even look. He doesn't even try. This He's the biggest guy on the court. He's the biggest, most athletic freak on the court, and he doesn't even try to put it in. This guy's useless. You think Houston wants to keep him around? You think Houston wants him picking up this player option? No way. They don't want that. That's why they try to trade him. So I I see things like that if I'm James Harden. You know, James Harden is an elite scorer in this league. I told you at the deadline, if if he was one of the guys that the Celtics were trying to acquire, maybe saying to Houston, look, if you guys are going to rebuild, you think you need to blow that thing up. We'll, we'll do whatever it takes to get James Harden. I mean, I'm all in on that. James Harden is he's one of the uh, elite scorers in this league. I'll take him any day of the week, right? So I would do that in a, in a second. But if I'm James Harden, I don't want to play with Dwight Howard. And, you know, I just look at that Rockets team, but it, and it's not even just that relationship. And I thought it was. But I'm watching them last night going, there is nobody on this team that likes each other. Like, there'll, there'll be there guys on the bench talking to the teammates that are on the court, and there'll be dirty looks. They'll be giving each other dirty looks. It's, it's, it's Honestly, it's uncomfortable to watch. It was I, – I felt uncomfortable watching the Houston Rockets last night because during this game, in stretches which they did have some success, it was like they didn't even want to congratulate each other. Like, they hated each other. Like, everybody on the team hated each other. No one was on the same page, and Golden State knows that. That's the other part of it. Golden State, if I'm seeing it, if you're seeing it, if we're all seeing it while sitting at home or at work like I was last night, you know, Golden State sees it too. And if Golden State sees it, they know that they don't need Steph Curry to win this series. So if you don't need him to win this series— and he's, a, he's someone who has had ankle problems in the past. What are you doing? Gonna This is a long playoff run. And you just went on a regular season run in which you went for the 73, good for you, and you got the 73 wins, but you got it on the final night of the season. I don't care what you say. Forget about the pressure of that. It's just, you know, you're in a playoff push. And technically it didn't really have to be because you know how good you are and you just want to get into the tournament and have a chance to win. 
And and now, yeah, you're in the tournament. You have a chance to win. But you pushed it up until the very end of the regular season. And I, I think if you wanted to give someone like Steph Curry, because of that, a couple nights off, no. He's a little banged up, rolled the ankle a little bit. Let Give him some time to heal. Give him a week to heal. Well, you have a luxury of playing a Houston Rockets team that has some talent, sure, but obviously does not have any type of chemistry to the point where they're going to give you any type of scare in this series. So you don't need Steph. The Warriors know that, and they made this decision about not playing Steph Curry last night. They made it two nights ago. They made it right after the game. I don't care what they're telling you. They're just trying not to look obnoxious and, and they, they made it look like Steph was trying to play. But in reality, I'm telling you right now, even when he went out for shoot-around last night, they knew he wasn't playing. They knew he wasn't playing. And Golden State, even without him, they win, and they lead that series two games to none. Dallas, they beat Oklahoma City. The Thunder collapsed late in this game. The Mavericks went at 85-84. That series now tied at one, going back to Dallas. And Toronto, they lost game one to Indy. The two-seed Raptors lost game one of the paces in Toronto, but game two was different. The Raptors win last night, 98-87. to That series tied at one. That goes to Indiana now, so we'll keep our eye on that series and the rest of the NBA playoffs. What else last night? Well, we had playoff hockey last night as well. Four games tonight in the Stanley Cup playoffs, but three games last night, and... The Capitals, I picked the Capitals to win the Stanley Cup. They beat the Flyers 6-1. to The Capitals, so that game was in Philly last night. An ugly game because you had some filthy hits from the Flyers. Hits from behind. You know, fans throwing shit on the ice. And Ovechkin, he gets a couple. The Capitals, they win at 6-1. The Capitals lead the series three games to none. I, I think they're probably going to sweep. They got the Capitals get one of the best goalies in the world. And as you've seen, Steve Mason is the complete opposite. He's the goalie for the Flyers. Uh, Mason really at this point looks to be as bad as they come. I, I expect the Capitals to sweep that series. They have a three games to none lead. Minnesota hosted Dallas. Dallas entered this game with a two games to none lead in that series uh, in the Western Conference. Minnesota won last night, five to three. This is... At least, in my opinion, this has got to be the least watched series in the Stanley Cup playoffs. Uh, at, at least from my perspective. I, I haven't watched really a second of this series. But Minnesota wins last night and cuts Dallas's lead in the series to two games to one. And then the late game, well, the LA Kings uh, are going to do what the LA Kings do. And they were down 2-0 on the road in San Jose last night. And they win game three. So now San Jose only leads the series two games to one. L.A. loses two at home. They go on the road, and they win last night in OT two to one. Uh, John Quick, just a great performance from him. And you know what? He saved Milan Lucic's ass because Milan Lucic, one of the dumber penalties that you'll see given just what he did and also given the situation that the Kings are in in this series, and also given the, the point in time in which he, he he had this penalty. Late in this one, final minutes, he spears a guy. I don't think he hit him below the belt. I think he hit him sort of in the stomach, but he comes up with the stick. We've seen this before from Luch. He can be a little crazy with his stick. Sometimes he loses his cool, and he hurt the Kings last night. But luckily for him, your best penalty kill is your goalie, and John Quick stepped up. I told you he was going to. I told you yesterday this was a John Quick game. 
And it was because he stepped up and he killed off not just one penalty late, but another late too. Because right after the Lucic penalty, the Kings, they just threw it out of their own zone into the stands. That's a delay of game. That's a penalty. But John Quick stood on his head and the Kings beat San Jose in overtime 2-1. to one. San Jose leads the series two games to one. I expect the Kings to even it up at two. I expect them to win the next one as well. And I'm still going with L.A. winning that series, and I'm still going with L.A. going to the Stanley Cup final. But that's what we have uh, in the Stanley Cup playoffs. And as I mentioned, there are four Stanley Cup playoff games tonight. Tampa Bay is in Detroit for their game four. Tampa Bay leads that series two games to one. Pittsburgh, they are at Madison Square Garden to take on the Rangers. That series tied at one, so game three of that series tonight. Game three of Anaheim and Nashville, that series tonight. The series goes to Nashville and the Predators. They went into Anaheim and stole two games. The Predators have a two-games-to-none series lead, so that should be interesting as the Predators look to, uh, it's the underdogs here, look to get a 3-0 series lead on the Ducks, that game in Nashville. And then finally, St. Louis is in Chicago at the Madhouse on Madison. St. Louis leads this series two games to one. Uh, So this game four, I'm expecting the Blackhawks to come out tonight, and I'm expecting the Blackhawks to win in their own building and even the series up at two. So there's a little update on what we have in the playoffs, NBA and NHL. Now, yesterday on this podcast, I was recording as the Red Sox game was beginning and as it was going on in the first couple innings. So I I didn't get to tell you how I feel about the result of that one yesterday. Though I was on WEEI last night, and we went over it, and I took some calls, and obviously there is some frustration. What I told you yesterday, not knowing, again, the result of the Marathon Monday Patriots Day game at Fenway, uh, I I went over some of the concerns that people are having, and, and what people are fired up about is the lineup. And, and Chris Young, how he played on Sunday, knowing that you're going to face back-to-back left-handed pitches, left-handed starters uh, for the first time all season. And Chris Young is a right-handed hitter. Was you know The role for him is to, I guess, start against these lefty starters. So when you get a righty starter on Sunday, why would you play Chris Young? And also, if you're going to play him, why is he still in the game late? When you have some other bats on the bench that you should put in, I mean, yes, I understand the frustration, and and I I disagree with John Farrell's moves and and playing Chris Young on Sunday. But as I told you yesterday, I just I do have a tough time getting overly worked up about the lineup this early in the season. I do. I have a tough time getting worked up about it. And yesterday, for this Marathon Monday game, the lineup was a little messed up as well. But it gets messed up because you take David Ortiz out. And I told you, I'm okay with giving David Ortiz the day off yesterday. I am. I'm okay with it. Because I want I want the manager to make baseball decisions. Now, Ortiz didn't get the whole day off because he came in for a pinch hit roll in the ninth with a chance to, to, to give us a magical moment one last Patriots Day magical moment in David Ortiz's career, and he struck out looking. I, I think that was a high strike. I know the K-Zone said it was, you know, 
just barely just got in high in that strike zone, but I don't like that little K zone on TV. I don't like to see it every pitch. Uh, in fact, I don't want to see it at all. If you, if you want to give it to us every once in a while in a replay, go ahead. I do not like how they put it there every single pitch. And, you know, they had it there for the OTs, so you could say, well, it was in the strike zone technically. Well, if you take away that screen, I do think you'll get a lot of people to say that was a high, high strike. And David Ortiz, most of the time, is a guy that should get the benefit of the doubt on that. And he did not yesterday, and they punched him out looking to end the game. So David Ortiz didn't get the entire day off yesterday. He came into a pinch hit roll, but they didn't start him. They didn't put him in the starting lineup. And I'm okay with it because you got to pick your spots with David Ortiz. And if you know you're going to give him some time off, well, honestly, what's a good game to give him off? Wouldn't it be against a lefty starter and an 11 o'clock start? Like, that seems to me to be a good time and a good decision to sit him if you're going to give him time. Now, it would, be one, it would be a different thing altogether if David Ortiz said, well, I don't need time off this year. You know, I'm good enough. I can play every day. Well, I mean, I don't think you would ever hear that, and that's certainly not the case. But if it was the case, then, then maybe you do start him. But, but like I said, that's not the case. You're going to give him time off. I thought yesterday you got to pick your spots. I thought that was a good spot. And when you do that... Well, you move Travis Shaw to first base. Hanley Ramirez is the DH. All of a sudden, you need another cleanup hitter. You do not want to start with four straight right-handed batters. So you throw a lefty in there. Who are you going to throw in? You're not putting Jackie Bradley Jr. in that spot. Uh, So Travis Shaw is going to go into the cleanup. I'm fine with that. You hit Hanley fifth. Uh, But the, the beef I had with the lineup yesterday, and again, I'm not overly worked up about it, but but I think I was more upset with the fact that yesterday, having given Brock Holt some time off already, you went with Josh Rutledge at third base. And, I again, the lefty-lefty thing, they're going to tell you that's, that's the reasoning for it, or they're trying to get guys at bats. Brock Holt should have been at third base yesterday. And I'm not just saying this in hindsight, knowing Rutledge made a terrible play and a terrible throwing error in a disastrous eighth inning for the Red Sox yesterday. Um, It's not hindsight. I actually told you while I was recording this podcast yesterday, I was watching Rutledge drive in to that point, the only run of the game in which, you know, he ripped one, what, the other way, and he drove in Hanley Ramirez, and the Red Sox took a one nothing lead. That was in the second inning. And I watched it, and I, I told you while I'm recording this podcast, while that happened, I said, even though he just did that, and that's a nice spot for him to be in, a good opportunity, and he came through, and it's a big hit. You know, it's an early run for someone like Clay Buckholtz, and I'll get to Buckholtz, but I told you, even seeing Rutledge produce in that spot in the second inning, driving a run, I still said to myself, I don't think he should be playing in this game. Should be Brock Holt. Should be. And then you get to that disastrous eighth inning. That was his, I mean, that's his, that's a nightmare. That eighth inning was an absolute nightmare. And it began with a throwing error from the guy that I just talked about, Josh Rutledge. I mean, he played hero ball like I've never seen in my life. Here's the deal with Rutledge. You get to play in this game, you got to know your role. You have to know your role. He gets a ground ball to his right at third base, and this is a play and a ball that you just got to eat. Because it's a one to nothing game. The Red Sox lead this game one nothing at this point. Okay? You cannot let the leadoff hitter 
get to be, go in scoring position. So you cannot risk a bad throw. If you drop Josh Rutledge, you're not an everyday player. You're a utility guy at best. You cannot play hero ball. I know you had a big hit. I know you drove in the only run. But at that point, you get a ball hit to your right, the way Pala hit that ball, you got to get that running past the third base bag, and you got to eat it. That's You can't make that throw. He attempted the terrible throw. It was a terrible throw. It gets by, and Pala gets to second base. All of a sudden, the tying run is in scoring position. That's it. That's a bad decision. It's it's an even worse throw from Rutledge. You got to eat it. You cannot play hero ball there. And that's how this disastrous inning started. And Koji Uihara was on the mound. Now, I got some calls last night on WEEI saying, well, why wouldn't you stick with Tazawa? Because Tazawa came in for Clay Buckholtz in the seventh. Now, credit where credit's due. We knocked Buckholtz an awful lot. Buckholtz pitched very well yesterday, and you hate to see them. This is why this eighth inning was was even more disastrous than it even looked, because you hate to waste a, a good start from Buckholtz like this against a divisional rival that's going to be contending for a first-place spot and a wild-card spot in the Toronto Blue Jays in your own building. I mean, you, this is you can't waste this outing from Buckholtz, and Buckholtz was very, very, very good. you know, you got to be impressed with what you saw. We knock him an awful lot. But, and I, I do not knock John Farrell for taking Buckholtz out in the seventh when he lets up a two-out single. I, I, don't, I don't play him at all. You see that single in the seventh, he's close to 100 pitches, you say, okay, seen enough. I'd rather him make that move with Buckholtz sooner rather than later. Like, do not even let the wheels begin to fall off. So I'm okay with him putting Tazawa. Tazawa comes in, he gets the ground out, only throws a couple pitches. People say, well... People called up last night on WEI. They said, well, why wouldn't you throw Tazawa out in the eighth? And, you know, I mean, I I, I think you could make an argument to do that, but where I'm not going to get, where I'm not going to crush John Farrell for this is that they've been pretty good with the way they've used this bullpen so far this season. And the way they've used it this season is Tazawa in the seventh, Yuihara in the eighth, and Kimbrell in the ninth. So when you go to, you get to the eighth inning, and you have a one nothing lead, you already used Tazawa. Eh, I'm okay with Uihara in that spot because that's what they've had success with so far this season. I, I, I can't. I'm not going to sit here and, and 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 crush him for that move based on what we've seen. I mean, because we've been praising it up until this point last night, yesterday. But Uihara, it was very clear he had no splitter. And I don't know what the reason for it was. I mean, I don't know if it's because, you know, the routine. Um, you know, the, the routine of, of not ever pitching in a meaningful spot at 1.30 in the afternoon because that was around the time he came in, right? Uh, has been with the Red Sox, but you got Uihara and then you got Kimbrell because Uihara just did not have a splitter, just no split. And when he doesn't have a split, that thing's not moving. I mean, that was, I've never seen it not move like that. Like, it's somewhat concerning to me. I've expressed my Koji Uihara concerns early in the season with the velocity being down a couple ticks. I think that's something to keep an eye out for because when it is down, look, you're not asking him to throw 95. I get it. So you're not asking velocity in that sense. But when you get a lack of velocity, even a couple miles per hour on that splitter, there's less movement there. And when there's less movement on that split, 
Well, that even makes his fastball less devastating. It's, it's I shouldn't say dev. He doesn't have a devastating fastball. But when the split has got nasty movement, down and away to to lefties or in the outside to righties and down in the dirt, you catch him off guard with that fastball a little bit more, even though it's coming in at 88 miles an hour. It's just when when the velocity's down a little bit, that split doesn't have as much split to it. And yesterday, Koji just had nothing. I mean, that was a flat 80 straight pitch. That was that was bad. And um, I think he got lucky, to be honest. Like, I think Uihara got lucky that, that he didn't let up, like, back-to-back-to-back home runs yesterday, as bad as that pitch was. But he loads the bases. Um, Uihara, right? And you get the the ground out, and all of a sudden, the walk loads the bases, so then the game's tied at one. Kimbrell comes in in a 1-1 game in the eighth with bases juiced, and he strikes out in Encarnacion, and I'm going, oh, this is this is it. Kimbrell's getting out of this. But then he got a little wild, and he walked to Lewitsky. He walks in the go-ahead run. Blue Jays led it 2-1. to one. Then you got to credit Russell Martin. I think Russell Martin had a great at-bat. A great at-bat. I really am crediting credit Russell Martin for the at-bat. He takes it the other way. Low fastball the other way. Drives in two runs. Blue Jays take a 4-1 to lead. Wheels have come off. Yeah, Kimbrell gets a strikeout to end the inning. But at that point, even though the Red Sox in the ninth score a couple runs on a Travis Shaw RBI double and a Hanley Ramirez RBI single to cut the lead to 4-3, it was too little, too late. You got to go back to this eighth inning. And you, with Kimbrell coming in, I mean, I just think you had to put him in. I know that's not the ideal spot. That's not like you didn't go acquire Craig Kimbrell to come in to a game in the eighth inning of a tie game with bases loaded. Like, that's just not the spot that you got him to come in for. Uh, and, and the concerns now that you hear from some people in this town that this is the second time uh, in the last week that we've seen Kimbrell come into a game and, you know, help lose it for the Red Sox, right? That game against Baltimore last week in which he threw a low fastball to Chris Davis and Davis put it in the seats. And, of course, this one that you saw yesterday in the eighth with the walk with paces loaded, the scores a run, and then the Russell Martin RBI single that scored two and put the Blue Jays up 4-1. Here's what I'll say about that eighth thing. I'm more concerned about Koji than I am Craig Kimbrell. I am. I'm way more concerned about Koji than I am Craig Kimbrell because there are some people that I hear crushing Craig Kimbrell last night and today, and I'm not sure that these people watched Kimbrell at all last week after that opening day game in which that Fenway opener in which Kimbrell led up that home run to Chris Davis. Like, Kimbrell had come in to three other games in between that in which he was just downright dominant and nasty. And he wasn't just downright dominant and nasty. He was downright dominant and nasty against two of the better lineups in, I think, not just the AL East, but in the American League. You might even make an argument in all of baseball. He got Baltimore's top of the order, three up, three down, including Machado and Davis, all with strikeouts. And then he got Toronto's lineup, what, Bautista and Canacion, Tulowitzki, three up, three down, three strikeouts. Kimbrell, he's got four saves, 
the ERA is not good, obviously. It's 4.05. And, you know, the win-loss record is 0-1. But, but don't look at that. To me, Kimbrell's going to be just fine. He's got some issues with control and command in big spots, but I think most of the time, you're not going to be sending Kimbrell out on the mound in a 1-1 game in the eighth with bases loaded. Like, that's just not an ideal situation. I think what you missed yesterday was someone like Carson Smith, who's trying to come back from a DL stint, and he should be back soon. You're missing someone like that. Uh, But on top of it all, let's be honest. What was the real issue in that eighth inning? The real issue in that eighth inning was Koji Uehara just wasn't Koji Uehara. If Koji was Koji yesterday and the splitter was working at all, then you wouldn't even have to go. You wouldn't even have to go to Kimbrell in that spot in the eighth. You would get out of that jam. So uh, that's what I keep coming back to and my concerns with what happened in the eighth. Uh, it's my concern more about Koji than anything else. It is. It's more about Koji than anything else. So the Red Sox lose yesterday 4-3. Uh, they split a four-game set with Toronto at Fenway. Um, again, you wasted a very good Clay Buckholt start. A very good Clay Buckholt start. But, you know, some of the moves with the lineup, the only one I, I question is Rutledge in that game at all yesterday. I don't understand Rutledge. You should have went with Brock Holt. That's not hindsight. I said it on this podcast as I was watching the game yesterday, as I was watching Rutledge drive in a run in the second inning with a nice piece of hitting. I still said, you know what? He shouldn't be playing. And turns out in the eighth, he made a terrible decision to not eat that ball that was hit to his right down the third baseline. And and he tried to play hero ball, and it was costly. It was costly. So... We got to move on because the Red Sox back to work tonight as the Tampa Bay Rays are in town. Uh, The Red Sox conclude this homestand with a three-game series against the Rays. Joe Kelly on the mound for the Red Sox tonight. Joe Kelly's last game was much better than his first game. The first game he pitched back on April 8th in Toronto. You know about that. He had three very good innings, and then he got lit up in that fourth and uh, that was tough. He gave up seven runs in that game in three-plus innings, but his start after that, his second start of the season against Baltimore, uh, it was a much-improved game from him. He got the win, five innings, allowed only two runs, one home run, walked five. Kelly's been walking a lot of guys. Uh, He has, what, eight walks in eight total innings, so that's not good. He's got to fix that. Uh, eight walks to 10 strikeouts. Joe Kelly, you know, you, you're looking for him to build upon that, and, and maybe he gets some confidence now. But uh, I expect Hannigan behind the plate for him again. I do. You go, you're not going to catch Christian Vasquez every single day. Uh, so I'm ex- unless they want to say, all right, right out of the gate, now that we're bringing Christian Vasquez into the fold, maybe we want him to see everybody once through. Uh, I'm not sure how they're going to handle this. We'll have to wait and see. But Joe Kelly, if you want to be optimistic, it's that he did have a much better outing in his second start than he did his first. So maybe he can build on to that. But right now, Joe Kelly threw two games and two starts, a 10.13 ERA. The Red Sox go up against lefty Drew Smiley. So, yeah, I guess if the Red Sox are going to do what they're saying they're going to do, 
I'm expecting Chris Young, the right-handed hitter, to be in this game, but if Ortiz is in as well, right, the DH Hanley's at first, Travis Shaw, I expect, is going to be at third, then you're looking at it going, all right, what are you doing with, what are you doing with Brock Holt? Like, where's Brock Holt in this one? You going to give him another day off? So that's why all of a sudden you go back to the Rutledge move yesterday. I don't really understand that. Um, so we'll see. I'll react to it on tomorrow's podcast. But Joe Kelly versus Drew Smiley tonight at Fenway. The Rays and the Red Sox tomorrow. Rick Porcello against Chris Acha and then David Price on the mound. Getaway day a Thursday afternoon, one thirty-five start at Fenway before the Red Sox go to Houston for a weekend series. So that's what you have with this Red Sox team right now. Though there's another Red Sox story that people are paying attention to that I, you know, if the questions weren't asked to John Farrell, I wouldn't be paying attention to this at all. Because with Pablo Sandoval, here's, I mean, here's where I'm at with Pablo. For me, he's been sort of, you know, out of sight, out of mind. I'm not even thinking about the guy. But when you get questions about his health, you know, he's supposed to meet with Dr. James Andrews. The story here is, this is what they're telling us, is that there was too much inflammation in Pablo Sandoval's shoulder for Dr. James Andrews to get a proper diagnosis, right? He could not get a proper diagnosis, proper test on the shoulder because there was too much inflammation. Now, I won't lie. I kind of reacted to this like, okay, I could see that. Like, I can see that. I'm, I have the worst shoulders in the league, right? Separation on one, torn rotator cuff on the other. I know about inflammation. Sucks. Uh, so I, so I kind of, I could, I could see, I could understand it. Some people were like, oh no, it's, this is a lie. What are we, what is going on here? They're lying to us. And I guess I'm not saying those people are wrong. I just look at it and think, all right, I can understand that. If there's too much inflammation, you got to wait till the swelling goes down, give him a shot, maybe come back in a day or two. I, I, I just, that wasn't a crazy idea to me, right? Especially Sandoval's not playing anyways. What's the real rush with it? What, as an organization, what's the rush? You, you don't need him right now. You don't. So when I heard it, I didn't think too much of it. But today on WEI, uh, Dr. Gill, former Sox and Patriots doctor, he said that he was confused with this story as to the inflammation, not getting the proper diagnosis. He didn't really understand it. Well, then I come, I step back, I say, well, if, if he's confused, then I'm confused, and I no longer know. So, uh, if, if, the, if you got doctors who are confused, how am I supposed to know what the fuck's going on? How are you supposed to know what's going on? The way I'm going to handle this is, the, is this. Out of sight, out of mind. I'm not even, like, I'm not even that, I'm done being worked up about Pablo Sandoval. People who get all worked up because he's making so much money. All right. What, what do you want? What do you want to have happen? I mean, what, what do you want him to do? It's a bad contract. Is it, is it going to affect the way the organization handles business moving forward? No. If it does, shame on the organization. Then we crush the organization. Like, if they come out at the deadline and say, well, you know, we were going to make a trade 
for Chris Sale. Uh, we were going to bring in Sonny Gray and give him a contract extension, but we just don't have the money because Pablo Sandoval is making all this money, you know, and, and he's not even playing, and Rusnake Castillo's making this money, and he's in the minors. If they tell us that, which they won't, but if they did, then we crush the organization. Then I think the focus is now back on what's going on with the Sandoval situation. But that's not going to happen. They're not going to let this affect their bottom line. And they're not going to let this affect the way they're going to do business moving forward, trying to build the championship ball club. And the next step will be to get some more pitching because that's still the biggest issue. And you're going to get Eduardo Rodriguez back. But more importantly, if you are in contention by the time you get to the trade deadline, which I expect the Red Sox to be in that spot, then you go out and try to make a trade for another pitcher. And Sandoval's contract, whether he's healthy with it or whether he's on the DL with it or whether you're paying for him at that point to play for another team if you do trade him at some point, that's not going to affect what the Red Sox do. It shouldn't and it won't. So now we look at Pablo. If doctors are confused about it, what am I? Am I supposed to be confident? No. I have. If doctors don't know what's going on, I don't know what's going on. And people say, well, they're lying. They're not telling us the truth. If they lie to us, they're lying to us. Because at this point, who cares? Out of sight, out of mind. The Red Sox don't need Pablo Sandoval. It's a terrible contract. We, we, we all agree to that. All right. Do what you got to do behind the scenes, I guess. But what you have on the field with this Red Sox club... I'm not sitting here begging for Sandoval to get back. I'm not. And so I kind of forgot about him until they keep reminding me of the Sandoval situation by giving us updates on the shoulder. Out of sight, out of mind. That's how I'm handling it. So around Major League Baseball, as I wrap things up here, just a couple things from last night. Trevor Story, you know, the kid who comes in, what, he had seven home runs in his first six games? Something crazy like that. Some people have wondered if it's a fluke. Trevor Story hit his eighth home run last night for the Colorado Rockies, so maybe he's not going to keep up the pace he was at, but it looks like he's still going to hit some balls in the seats uh, this season in a full season, so maybe it's not such a fluke. Trevor Story with another home run last night, and you know I'm a huge John Lackey fan, and the Cubs went out and stole John Lackey from the St. Louis Cardinals the Cubs and the Cardinals played last night. Two teams who were atop the, and in a battle, rivals for that NL Central division. Uh, the Cubs win it last night. In, they go into St. Louis and win 5 to nothing. This is a rivalry. This is one of the better rivalries in all of Major League Baseball. And you got Lackey going from St. Louis last year to Chicago. And once again, you're the Cubs. You put Lester and Lackey together. I told people in Chicago, I tweeted Big Cat from Boston last night. I said, you're going to love this guy. And, you know, he's proven me right. Lackey last night picks up his third win of the season, goes seven innings, allows only four hits, seven shutout innings, only walked one, and struck out 11, throwing 91 pitches. John Lackey, he shows up every fifth night. He puts on his work boots. And, you know, the guy's going to give you everything he has. He never likes to... There's never been a game he's enjoyed coming out of. Doesn't matter the situation. He doesn't like coming out of games. He doesn't like when managers take him out. And I'm fine with that. I actually love that mentality. And, And that mentality, that mindset, right? Just being an absolute workhorse. I I love John Lackey. And, you know, I look at him and think, 
man, I'd love to see him on the Red Sox still. I'd love to see him on the Red Sox still. I'm one of the biggest John Lackey fans out there. I can remember when he pitched for the Angels. I said, Red Sox got to go get him. They went out and got him. And you go to the 2013 World Series, John Lackey just had that start against Detroit was huge. And he was on the mound for the clincher. It was, Lackey's the man. The Cubs are going to love him. And he's going to continue to win with them. And he goes up against his old team in St. Louis last night on the road in St. Louis. What a rivalry. National te- nationally televised game. And he gives you seven shutout innings with 11 strikeouts. A dominating performance from John Lackey. And the Cubs, they're, they're going to have... Uh, they're going to have a special season. So uh, keep an eye on what's going on there. But that's what we had last night in Major League Baseball. One piece of breaking news that I should get to real quick because I've, I've kept you updated on the Johnny Manziel saga in the NFL. Drew Rosenhaus, his agent, has officially, and I'm reading this breaking news right now, Drew Rosenhaus has officially terminated his relationship with Johnny Manziel. That's the news. He sort of hinted towards this in a message. What, he put it on, like, Facebook or something last week? Which I thought was a little weird. But he did it anyways. Maybe, perhaps, he couldn't get the message through to Manziel personally, so he went public with it. Okay. Thought maybe Manziel would see it, and people would get in his ear and tell him to smarten up. Maybe don't live with Josh Gordon, right? I mean, that should be a reality TV show. Manziel and Josh Gordon living together. It's not good for Manziel. It's not good for Josh Gordon. It's not good for either of them. They shouldn't be living together. But yet, apparently, they are. And Drew Rosenhaus has now said, all right, Johnny, you don't want to play by my rules. You don't want to smarten up. You want to still go in front of TMZ cameras and saying, uh, there's nothing wrong with partying, bro. You know, you spoiled brat. That's what Manziel is. He's got all the talent in the world football-wise, and I think that's why this pisses me off because I look at his talent, and I think it's a waste of talent. Now, it's a waste of talent. And, and I mean, he has officially wasted the talent. It's over, right? Drew Rosenhaus is one of the last people that, that hung on to that talent. And even he is saying today, yeah, Johnny, the dream is now dead. And I'm out of here. And I don't blame him. I don't blame him one bit. I'm here five days a week. You can get this show whenever you want, dannypicard.com. Also, subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, any app in which podcasts are available. I got an email yesterday because I applied because I heard that Google Play, the Google Play store for people who don't have iPhones and they're looking for ways to get this podcast, well, you can get it on Stitcher and TuneIn. Those are two pretty good apps. But the Google Play store is now... Or at least they've been trying to get podcasts up there. And I got approved my show. And I got an email yesterday with a link saying, congratulations, your podcast is now available in the Google Play Music Store. And I searched and I looked and it's, it's, it's available on the link they email me. But it's not available. I can't find it when I get the app and I search it. Like I still can't find it. I don't know if it's because I have an iPhone and a MacBook. I don't know. I don't know enough about Google Play. I think people with a Droid or maybe a Samsung, maybe they understand it. If you do and you go to the Google Play and they're specific about this, they say go to Google Play Music and get podcasts. If you can find the Danny Picard show there, and, and you know, if you don't have an iPhone, let me know. 
because I've been searching for it. I got an email yesterday. Maybe it takes a couple days to process, but um, it says we're good to go. I just, I don't see it showing up. Hopefully it shows up soon in the next couple days or weeks. If I can find it, I'll let you know. If you can find it, you let me know. Hit me up on Twitter, at Danny Picard. Like my Facebook page, facebook.com slash the Danny Picard Show. Also on Instagram, at Danny Picard. And uh, once again, go to beantownathletics.com, your only source for customized screen printing and embroidery. Give them a call, 617-282-4181. That's 617-282-4181. Or swing by the shop, 132 Granite Ave in Dorchester. I'll be back here tomorrow. Programming note, I get TV tomorrow night, Comcast Sportsnet on Wednesday night. So enjoy the Celtics game tonight. I'll break it down on tomorrow's podcast. Also break down this Red Sox game against Tampa Bay and anything else that happens in the NBA playoffs and the Stanley Cup playoffs. I'll do it tomorrow. I'm out. See ya.